All right, let's, let's get to work. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and the love that you have for us. And, and Lord, we do thank you that uh, um, we can meet people from around the world and uh, share our lives with them. So, Lord, I pray that as we kind of open up your word this morning, um, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, last week, let me just twist this a little bit here. Last week, we kind of uh, went into one of the texts in the Bible that can be very, very difficult to understand and to unpack. In fact, it's one of those texts that, that usually we see very extremes in when people deal with them. And one of the extremes is that, that we just kind of gloss right over it because it's just one of those hard things when it says, you know, you can't sin and you can't do this. And, you know, if you, if you sin, you're of the devil. And so we kind of went and, and, and so... Many people will just look at that and go, you know what, I can't deal with that. Um, I'm just going to just forget that's even part of the Bible. We're getting on to the easy stuff. And the other side of the, the spectrum on that is people become very legalistic about texts like that. And they take them out of the context. And what happens when, when you turn um, certain biblical truths into, into almost what a Pharisee would do, heaping rules on people and weighing them down with those rules, making people twice the sons of hell that, that the Pharisees were, as Jesus pointed out, uh, you suck the life out of people. And so for us, it's very important that we deal with those difficult texts because it's about us Growing in God's grace the whole time. And, and that's what those things are. Because remember that scripture will never contradict scripture. Our interpretation many times wrongly will contradict what the scripture says. But the scripture itself, the way it was written, the way God has intended it for, to, to be and come alongside of us will never contradict itself. Because it's the word of God and so it cannot and so I hope that you have a better understanding of that text, that those of you that were here last week. And, and if you weren't here last week and you want to know, I believe it's on our website. Uh, we kind of tackled 1 John 3 verses, uh, I think it was 6 through 10. Um, and so this week we're just going to kind of press on into the let, uh, letter some more. Mark, would you uh, put the verse up there? This is uh, continuing on, John th- 1 John three eleven through 15. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. We can go back, Mark. You can stay on that. Thank you. There's a lot going on in this verse underneath. And, and that's kind of where I want to go with this a little bit this morning. There's, there's, John is writing some truths and, and he... And, Many times we'll just kind of look at this and look at it as, yeah, we have, to, we have to love each other, which is true. 
but there's a lot more going on underneath that I want to get to this morning. Now, I'm going to remind you, as John continually reminds you, that he is writing this entire letter. The whole thread of this letter runs through. He talks about our identity, who we are, that we are God's children. And everything he writes, he writes from that perspective that we are the children of God. And being children of God, we live as children of God. We cannot live any other way but as his children if we are, in fact, his children. I know I I use the children a lot in that, but I hope you got the, the general idea. So we live the way that Jesus lived, not in perfection, but we live with the same desires that Christ had. We live a life as we are being perfected in him, through him, and by him, but we don't achieve perfection here. But we can walk in the desire that Christ had and was to do the will of the fire of the father. Jesus endured the cross, it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. And we, we walk with that same joy, the same joy that is set before us as we pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. And Christ walked in this this rhythm and this harmony with the Lord. And this is something that, that, that God calls us to and invites us to and actually enables us and strengthens us to walk in that way. Now, the way kind of John works this whole identity thing in, in our life is it's inevitable that we are going to live in a certain way. When we become children of God, something is transformed in us. The Holy Spirit of God takes control of us and we begin this process of gradual sanctification or we start to become more and more like Jesus. It's inevitable. It will happen. It has to happen. It cannot happen with the Spirit in us. Yes, we can be stubborn. We can dig our feet. We can go slower than what God would want. But he continually calls us because it's the work of Christ in us that changes us, not us trying to fix ourselves. And so he says, if you're his children, this is what being a child looks like in this world. This is how we are called to live. And so in this text, he comes right out and he says, you've heard this from the beginning. We should love one another. And so if we are God's children then we love each other. That the people in this building actually love each other. And not only in this building, but he's talking about the church as a whole. The church over there. We love them because that's who we are. And it's who we are becoming more and more. The church down the street, we love those people. If we are his children, then this is the posture of our hearts that we would love The church. Now, if we don't love each other, I mean, you could talk a good talk. You can can say all the right things. But if we don't love each other, we are not. Then we are not God's children. Remember, the Bible, the only thing the Bible has to say to people who are not the children of God is repent and follow Jesus. The Bible speaks nothing to those who are not God's children unless it's it's telling them you need to repent and follow Jesus. And it does talk about their identity, the saying, you are not my child unless you are a follower of Jesus Christ, unless you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. That distinguishes those of the world, which John talks about, and those of the kingdom of light or the kingdom of life or the God's kingdom. 
And that's what it, and so when he's speaking to the church, the Bible doesn't say, you need to follow these rules in order for God to accept you, in order to get it right, in order that, that you can clean yourself up enough to come to God. What the Bible says is because of your faith, because of your adoption into the kingdom of heaven, this is what naturally flows from your life. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. And, and, he, and this, this whole thread, this whole theme runs through this entire letter that he has written to the church. Because of the faith that we have, we naturally live in a certain way. And yes, we all, I mean, we all kind of ebb and flow. We're not perfect. We fall on our face. We, we get angry with each other. But, but there is that, there's that posture in our hearts that we desire to live as Christ calls us to live. Now, in this whole section... Again, I want to dig a little bit deeper. And, and so there's certain things that are taking place, certain truths, certain proofs of our uh, adoption into God's kingdom, us being his children. And, and one of them is, first of all, if you look in this, that we are of God, that we belong to God. Another thing in here is that we, as God's children, we have passed from death to life. And the third thing that kind of is kind of all wrapped inside here is that we have eternal life residing in us. Those three things are not existent for those that are not God's children. But as God's children, we we possess those things. We are those things. And so we have to con- uh, constantly keep just kind of looking into our own hearts, examining ourselves, examining our interior life to say, are these things true of me? Am I God's child? And if they're true of you, then rest assured, my brothers and sisters, that you are a child of God. You have passed from death to life. Eternity lives within you. These are the proofs. These are God's truths to you. Now I'm going to say that those truths will speak themselves much louder in the way that you live your life than anything that may come out of your mouth. What we are, who we are, pours out in the way that we live. Now for me, as I think about that, that is an amazing, beautiful truth, but also horrifies me a little bit. Because I know the sin that's still in me. And I know the things that God is still working in me. And what I have found is I've had the opportunity to travel a lot and and to meet a lot of people. And what I have found is the world cares very little for the things that we have to say, for the claims that we make. You know what the world is watching? The world is watching how we the people who claim to be God's children, the Christian, the world watches how we live our life. And that speaks volumes to them much louder than any of the words that we can say, any of the claims that we can make. The world is, it's, it's, it's watching us. It's always watching us. And who we are, who we are on the inside will inevitably, it, it will come out. It will pour out. Look at, look at what Jesus taught. Mark, can you go to the next slide? Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 7. He says, By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. 
but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. A tree does not bear good fruit so that it could become a good tree. A tree does not bear good fruit so that it can become a good tree. A good tree produces good fruit. It's the natural outcome of a good tree. And so people in the church, people who call themselves Christian, they can speak all of the Christianese sayings they want. They can wear the t-shirts. They can have the hat. They can have the bracelet. They can be WWJD and everything that they see in life. They can be saying and claiming and they can come to church and they can lift their hands and worship. But eventually what is on the inside of them will show itself. It will come out. Who we really are will make itself known. It's, it's, it's an absolute because it's what the scriptures teach. And so when it comes to um, the next slide, Mark, when it comes to this text that we're looking at this morning, we, we do not become Christians by loving the brothers and the sisters in the church. We love each other because we already are Christian. We already have been uh, taken by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is alive and well in us. And because of that, we begin to love each other. We don't become Christians. Okay, I got I to gotta love these people. I mean, take a look at yourselves. And then, and then I'm in? No, it's we love each other because we are Christian. It's the same what uh, James talks about in chapter 2. He says, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. He has the faith, and his faith then creates a life that looks very, very different. It's a constant and consistent message through the New Testament. So now I know maybe you might be thinking, you know, we're talking about all this identity stuff, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of, this is who you are, and so this is how you would live. And so why does John even bother writing all this? Why does he have to keep reminding us, if this is who you are, then this is how your life should look, if, if, if who we are is just going to be how we live anyway? And that is a very great question. I'm so thankful that you, you posed that question to me, because I would like to take a moment and answer that question. Have you ever planted a tomato plant? Maybe you have. Maybe you didn't. But it's an experience that we can all kind of connect to. Maybe you have a friend who's planted a tomato plant. And so you take the said tomato plant and you put it into the ground and and you pack the soil ever so lightly. And then as time goes in the summer, the plant begins to grow. But you want tomatoes. The whole object of a tomato plant is to get tomatoes, to get the fruit. You just don't want a smelly plant growing up out of the ground. You want fruit. And tomato plants do stink. I mean, that's just me. But, but you want the fruit that comes from the tomato. And so maybe, maybe you take care of that plant and you weed around it. You keep the weeds from crawling in and you water the plants. To make sure that it stays healthy. And then, and then you take a little chicken poo. And you, you kind of mix it into the soil. And, 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 and you do all of this. To strengthen the plant. To encourage it to grow more fruit. See you're strengthening what is already there. 
putting chicken poo in the soil doesn't make the tomato plant a tomato plant. The tomato plant is a tomato plant, but you're encouraging it to grow more fruit. And that's what John is doing here. John is encouraging. He's strengthening what already is. And he wants us to be aware that we can walk in victory and strength and have a passionate life. And so he kind of begins to flesh out this whole love thing. So in verse 12, he says, Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You know, if you look at the story of Cain and Abel, you will see in that story, uh, and, and especially in the light of what we've been talking about over the b- past bunch of weeks, that Cain was not of God. Now, he went through the motions. Cain brought the offering. In fact, he brought the first offering to the Lord. He went through the motions, but his heart, his interior posture, something was going on in there. He was not of God. His identity came out. Who he was came out, and he ended up killing his brother because he was angry. And so we see that who we really are will eventually show itself. But those of us who have been given Jesus, we have a a spirit of adoption. We've been called in. We have been brought from, from death to life, darkness to light, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God. And what John says, those of the world remain in death. Those in the world, they, they do not possess eternal life within them. And this is one of the hard truths of the scriptures. And so what does Cain's life look like? What does his interior posture look like? Well, uh, he belonged to the evil one. It looks the same as Satan. That he lived a, a self-centered, self-serving, selfish life. I mean, think, think, of, think of Lucifer. And I know that, that, that word, that name, just kind of is like, it's just, it's an ugly name. But think, he was created with angelic perfection to worship and be with God forever. He wasn't created as the devil. He was created as, as an angel. And he was created in that angelic perfection. But then he fell. And why did he fall? Because he was discontent with worshiping the Lord. He, he no longer wanted to live and to exist for the glory of God. He wanted the worship. He wanted people to pay attention to him. He wanted the power. He wanted to be as God. He wanted to live his life in a different way from the way that God had called him to live originally. Self-centeredness and selfishness. And isn't, isn't this the, the posture of the world that we see today? That the world just lives kind of um, selfishly for themselves, for their own happiness. That they want to make, I want to do what I want to do so that I can be happy. And you know what? Sometimes that, that doesn't look bad all the time. And it doesn't look ugly all the time. But there is a, a uh, prevalent spirit of selfishness. And how am I going to make my life a better life? How am I going to get ahead I understand that that might be not be the best thing for them, but, but what's more important is, is my happiness. This is the attitude of the world. 
We see that Satan hates God. And we see the world, there's a hatred for the things of the Lord in the world today. They hate the power of God and the glory of the Lord. And, and what I find is so many people want to take credit for the good, but yet they seem to want to blame God when it all goes bad. And I find that a very, very, very interesting. And I know, I mean, I too know very good people that are not Christian. Very good people who are loving and kind and, and generous and and they're good husbands and they're good wives and they're good children. Many a philanthropist is out there making positive change in the world and, and they're doing things. Uh, they're, they're, they're going after justice. They're, they're trying to heal people. They're trying to bring food. There's a lot of good things taking place in the world. But one of the biblical truths is that either you are of God or you are of the world. And John wrote that the world is being controlled by the enemy, by Satan. And, and, and I get it. And, and, and sometimes I really wrestle with that in, in my own heart. We are either a children of God, a child of God, or we are not. That's what the scriptures teach. And so we see in the brief story of Cain's life, we, we see his anger and his hatred for the things of the Lord. We have two brothers. We have two offerings. God, God praised Abel's offering, but he did not praise Cain's offering. And Cain became angry and he became embittered. He became selfish. His self-centered life took over. And what did he do? He killed his brother. Cain wanted the attention Cain said, I deserve this. I was the one, and I'm maybe putting words into his mouth, but I was the one who brought the first offering to God. I deserve it. I want this. Look at me. And he ended up killing his brother. And isn't, isn't that the, the, the posture of the world around us? I, I watch the news and I watch all of these wars that break out and, and the world just seems to be in a real big mess right now, especially in the Middle East. And, and isn't that... Isn't that the spirit that's there, a very self-centered, I want what I want. Look at me. I deserve it. You know, I really think that that's where, the, that's where this whole new term we have, the selfie, has come in. Look at me. And you know that if, you are, if a proper selfie can only be taken if you're a female with puckered lips. And if you're a dude, you have to take your shirt off. And I'm still not sure why they do it in the bathroom. Do they not know what takes place in a bathroom? Nothing sexy about a bathroom. But aren't they just calling out? Look at me. I want the attention. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Aren't I pretty? Isn't that the posture of the world's? Paul talks about it in Titus. He says there's the spirit of those in the world of malice and envy and, and, and hating one another. And there's this foolishness and, and people that are, are deceived. And that's what a life that's lived apart from Christ is like. That's what it looks like. Just listen to the conversations that some people have. Watch MTV. Watch, I, I would encourage you, watch MTV. And, and it, it just, they don't have music videos anymore. Uh, they just have stupid things. But watch it. And see the self-centered spirit that's there. Watch the news, man, and just, and just watch this political person attack that political person because, you know, this one's stupid and that one's stupid. And it's just this self-centered, self-gratifying, I know what's best for everyone else. 
Listen to the spite. Listen to the malice. I mean, you mean you can you can feel that in some people. Have you ever met that person where there's just this spirit of of criticism and it's and it's it's ugly, and and you can just feel it come off of them, and it's almost it's almost repulsive, and you're just like, what's up with that? But now I'm, I'm going to tell you this: as children of God, we don't get to condemn them. It's not our place to judge. Man, we go to the Lord and we pray for them. We go to the Lord and, and our hearts should be breaking for the people of the world, whether they be in our church building or outside our church building. I mean, I've, I've looked at and I've met people and, and I feel bad for them because I wonder what has broken so deep in them that they just want to stay in that dark, angry place for the rest of their life. Why do they run from the light? Why do they run from, from, from the best news like ever? And they just want to stay there. See, our job as the church is to pray, to go to God for them on their behalf and say, Lord, will you reveal yourself to them? Will you open their eyes so that they can see? As children of God, we, we walk in the light. As children of God, let's, let's shine that light out into the world. As children of God, we no longer walk as Cain walked in that darkness, but we have passed from death to life. We have passed from bondage to freedom. We have passed from, light, from darkness to light. And John's going to press in even more, and he's going to talk about more proof. He says, uh, he says the world's going to hate you, Christian, so much so that you shouldn't even be surprised about it. You should just take it as very matter of fact. And it's, and it's a very common theme throughout the Bible. I mean, Cain hated Abel. Saul hated David. Joseph's brothers hated him. All of the prophets were killed because they brought the word of God to the people. Jesus himself was hated to the point where they nailed him to the cross. He came to save. He came to redeem. He came to, to bring light into the world. Yet the world wanted him gone. And they killed him. So don't be surprised if you get that same hatred pointed at you. Don't be surprised if people make fun of you, jeer at you, look down upon you because you follow Jesus. And you know what's very interesting? They don't hate us because you're a bunch of jerks. I mean, yes, the jerk gene is alive and well in the, in the Christian church. I get that. But, but not in this one. Maybe over there. But, but don't, they, they don't hate us because we're jerks. Cain did not hate Abel because Abel was a jerk. He hated him because he was of God. He belonged to God. That's where the hatred came from for his brother. And, you know, the world's not going to hate you just because you do good. The world loves good people. The world celebrates good people, generous and caring people. It seems to me what I found is the world hates a Jesus follower. And one that's willing to stand up and say, yeah, I, I follow Christ because it's something that's very different. If you're good, if you're a good person, the world celebrates you. Admire, you, might get your, you might get your picture on a magazine someday. I mean, we celebrate those things. And again, there's people doing good work in the world, but the world looks down upon the Christian. Not because of any good that we're doing or any good that we're not doing and we should be doing. Not because we're jerks, though, again, some of us can be. The world hates us because we are of God. And don't be surprised. Don't 
You'd be surprised. Jesus did a lot of good work in the world. He did a lot of good. He healed sick people. He healed diseases. He, he raised people from the dead. He spoke of freedom and he spoke of life. He brought good news, like the best news, like no other news can even come close to being as good as the news that Christ brought. And he was killed for it. Why? Because he was of God. He spoke of the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus even said, you know, you know what? I haven't come to bring peace, man. I come to bring a sword. And so, and so Jesus would talk about, about families. See, see, families aren't divided by people who do good in families. In fact, families, they really like when everybody's getting along. And even if somebody does some bonehead move in your family, there's oftentimes, many cases, most cases, there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation and families come back together. But introduce Christ into a family and watch the way that sometimes those families are just torn apart, especially if you're from another faith or another religion and Christ comes in. Many people have suffered in their own family because they have professed Christ as, as their savior. Jesus said, he said, I, I've, come to, I've come to turn a man against his father. I've come to turn a, 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 a daughter against her own mother. You know, I don't even think sin divides in such a way, but the depth of the gospel divides. And before you know it, Cain kills Abel. The world hates us because it doesn't understand us. It doesn't understand the life that, that, that we live and the life that we have. It feels, it feels condemned by it. And, and, and truth be told, um, some people condemn the world and there's no grace in them. And there's no love of Christ in them. Man, I, it's not my job to condemn anyone. It's my job to point people to Jesus. Because I don't save. I'm a terrible savior, just so you know. I make a very bad God. You can ask my children. Though I have been called the authoritarian in the household, right? Authoritative, yes. AP psychology, authoritative. But many people don't say really anything, and yet the world feels condemned from us or through us or by us because there's a difference in who we belong to. And no one likes to feel condemned. No one likes to feel lost. The world, is, the world is in a lost place right now. No one likes that feeling. And that's why so many books are written about helping yourself get out of that feeling of lostness. And nobody has nailed like the one book. Well, somebody has nailed the one book. But nobody wants to seem to read this one very often. They always want to try all of the other ones out there. And so the world is lost and it feels lost and it condemns us. It hates us because maybe, maybe we're not so lost because we belong to God and the darkness doesn't like the light, but yet even a glimmer of light pushes back the darkness. It's why Jesus was hated then and it's why Jesus is, is hated now. He offered life to the world and yet the world the world's revolted against him. He came to love in very concrete ways, and yet he was still nailed to the cross. 
And as we walk in the identity that we have as children of God, we too will come under that same condemnation and hatred, even if we're doing good in the world. So the last thing he he gets to hear, these proofs, these truths about who we are, is that we will love the brothers and sisters of the faith. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because, Because we love each other. There, there's a real connection. There's a real love for us. You know, there's, there's way too many people that I've met in the churches that I have had the opportunity to visit that are very self-centered, focused on their own spirituality. And they just don't love the community of faith. They don't love, um, they, they, just, they just have this very cold uh, demeanor about them. And it's all about how they are going to journey on with Christ. And they just seem to forget about the rest of the community. And they're unconcerned about the brothers and the sisters. They've forgotten the call that as, as God's children, we are called to love each other. You know, here's a, here's a very historical fact if you read uh, ancient historians. The, the, the very thing that attracted uh, the ancient world, that, that really impressed the ancient world about Christians was how they loved each other. And I got to wonder, man, what happened to us? What has happened to us? The world and all of its brokenness and all of its darkness, I believe to this day, they expect something different from the Christian church, from the Christian community. Their expectation is that they will see something in us and about us that is different. And that very thing is that we would really love each other that we would really be caring about each other. So much so that when we fail, and Lord knows that we fail, so much so that when we fail in that, the world goes, see? And the church, the, the, the testimony of the church is destroyed. We love each other because we are of God. We love each other because we see God in others, in the brothers and the sisters. We love each other. We love in spite of the other person. Knowing that we are being loved in spite of us. We rejoice in the work of God in us. And we rejoice in the work of God in others. We, we, share, we share a love of this word that's alive and well in each of God's children. We worship together because we serve the same God and he is working in us. And as his children, we all have the same ultimate destination. We will spend glory for eternity with him. We are all on this journey of Christ-likeness. So why not celebrate it together? As children, it is inevitable that we will love each other. This, if it's who we are, God's children, then we will love. And so next week, John kind of unpacks for us what that means. I just want to give you a little preview. And this is where we're going to go. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, 
but with actions and in truth. But that's a topic for next week. I love you guys, and I'll see you then.